0: If you join me in Bible study tonight, please open up to Jeremiah chapter 13. We're in verse 25. In verse 24, God promised to scatter the children of Israel across the world. Did he do that? Yes, he did. Why did he do that? You know what I heard this week? It's because he's a mean old God who's been replaced by a nice new gentle God in the New Testament. Any truth to that? No, none whatsoever. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah.
0: A new type of replacement theology. Yes. God scattered them across the nations. Why? Because they sinned and refused to repent. How many of God's prophets did he send to preach repentance to them? All of them. One after another. And his son. And his son. And for so many of the people, it just didn't matter. They were not willing to repent because why? Because they enjoy their sin too much. So, verse 25 begins This is your lot, the portion of your measures from me, says the Lord, because you have forgotten me and trusted in falsehood. What does he mean by falsehood? It's got two meanings here. One is the idols upon which they rely and the other is the false prophets. The true prophets all preach repentance which makes you think the false prophets they taught something else. Everything's good. They tickle the ears. That's right. Everything's good. God wouldn't judge people. You know God is love. He never sent anybody to the lake of fire. Have you heard that? Isaiah 30 says, says that the, people even in that time,
2: the people, even
0: in that time, said, Prophesy to, to us smoothly. What do they mean by smoothly? Snake oil. We don't
2: want to hear
0: it. Snake oil. We don't want to hear repentance. We want to hear God loves you just as you are. We could write a song like that, Just as I am. But you know what? God doesn't want you in your sinful, fallen state. God calls us to repentance. So in verse 25, this is your lot means this is what you had coming. Because you turned away from God. You turned to pagan idols. You wouldn't hear the prophets that God sent calling you to repent. Therefore, you knew this was coming. How could they know it was coming? Because in Deuteronomy 28, God said, If you turn away from me, you're going into captivity. You and the king whom you set over you. And you know what? When God makes a promise, he keeps it. Whether you want him to or whether you don't. Let's go back to Jeremiah chapter 2. Jeremiah chapter 2. God's been calling Judah to repent for a long time now. But you know, this just shows the long-suffering nature of God. This just shows the long-suffering nature of God, what? That he hadn't just wiped them out in the beginning? Well, I mean, like,
2: they didn't just mess up one time and, and then no. kablooey.
0: Yep, they didn't just mess up one time.
2: I mean, he, God called them to repentance for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years until finally it was just. Okay.
0: God called them to repentance for forty years under Moses, then four hundred years under the judges, judges and then four hundred plus years under the kings. And,
2: their cup of iniquity was
0: full. and then their cup of iniquity was full. What's another word for iniquity? Lawlessness understand God now likes lawlessness. Uh, no, I don't think so. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 32. Can a virgin forget her ornaments or a bride her attire? By virgin they meet a bride. Have you ever seen a bride all dressed up in white with the pretty jewels and crowns and everything? That's what they're talking about. He says, yet my people have forgotten me days without number. What's he mean without number? He means too many to count. How many years? Over 800 years God's been calling them to repentance. And is it that, well, they didn't understand the message? Or they refused to hear it? What does God say? You made a conscious choice. Let's go to Jeremiah 18. Jeremiah 18. Wait, we haven't gotten there yet. Yeah, okay. Granted.
1: Fixing
0: We're fixing to you. He said, What? In Jeremiah 13, my people have forgotten me? He explains that more in Jeremiah chapter 18, beginning in verse 15. It says, Because my people have forgotten me, they have burned incense to worthless idols. Why didn't they burn incense to the good idols? There aren't any. They're all worthless. That's his point. They've caused themselves to stumble in their ways. What way are they walking? Each man did what was Right. right in their own eyes. It caused them to stumble because that will always happen when we choose to walk our way rather than God's way. And they stumble in their ways from the ancient parents. Meaning they were taught almost a thousand years ago how to walk properly. And yet they don't want to. To walk in pathways and not on a highway. To make their land desolate and a perpetual hissing. Everyone who passes by it will be astonished. will shake his head. What does verse 16 mean? You're going into captivity because you have forgotten God. God says, if you will not keep my commandments, you have forgotten me. When do we lose that concept from the modern church? What does God say? If you will not keep my commandments, you have forgotten me. You have forsaken me. You've turned your back on me. Oh, but God, we want you to save us anyway. Exodus. No, let's go to Ezekiel. Ezekiel next. Next chapter 22 verse 15 15 Ezekiel 22 verse 15 1-5 Ezekiel 22 15 I will scatter you among the nations that's captivity right disperse you throughout the countries that is throughout the world And remove your filthiness completely from you. That tells us what was the purpose of the captivity. Was it just for punishment? Trying to purge them. Trying to purge them. Trying to get them to repent. Trying to get them to realize that those pagan idols do nothing for them. They went into captivity. Suppose we just look at Babylon. They went into captivity in Babylon. Did the idols in Babylon have the ability to free them and send them home? No. Do they have the ability to bring in a productive crops and all that you could want to eat and drink? The answer is no. What did those idols do for them in Babylon? Yeah, nothing. Sure.
2: It took them away from God. It took, it
0: took them, away God. them away from God, yes. But if, if they had done what God wanted, they would have learned from it that the idols of the world are nothing. And we turned away from the true and living God who created heaven and earth and all that is in it to embrace worthless sticks and rocks. Wayne, yes, ma'am. If we were there, wouldn't we be acting just as bad as they are? I'm afraid you're probably right. We have Bible, we have radio, we have television, we have internet, we have all kinds of ways to learn God's word.
1: People resisted.
0: And people and still they resisted. They didn't have all that. How many people had a copy of the Torah scroll? Almost none. Yeah. They couldn't afford one. Look at the advantage you and I have. And how many people today spend long hours each week studying the word of God? Some of us do. Most of the world doesn't. Hmm. Let's take advantage of the benefits that we have. Another cute meme I saw on Facebook, forgive me. A man was praying to God, God, reveal your will to me. And God hands down a Bible and says, Here, read. Yeah, read this. Ezekiel 23, verse 35. Therefore, therefore it comes right after. You didn't learn from the northern kingdom going into captivity, you southern kingdom of Judah. Therefore, thus says, my Lord, the Lord, because you have forgotten me and cast me behind your back, therefore you shall bear the penalty of your lewdness and your harlotry, referring to idolatry. And what was that penalty? Captivity. Go to Deuteronomy 8. Deuteronomy 8. Deuteronomy encapsulates the Torah for us in one book, where it's a nice easy place for us to study. And Messiah quotes from it. Whenever Satan challenges him in the wilderness, he quotes from Deuteronomy. How come he didn't quote from Plato or Aristotle? No, he quotes from the Torah. Specifically from Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, which says, But man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. And that leads us into verse 11, which is why we came here. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God. And now he's going to explain what does he mean by that. By not keeping his commandments, his judgments, and his statutes which I command you today. Lest. What does the word lest mean? That's an old old kind of fashion word. Here's what's going to happen if you forget to me. When you have eaten and are full, and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply... And your silver and your gold are multiplied. And all that you have is multiplied. When your heart is lifted up. That is in pride. Look what I did. The tendencies forget God did this for us. And think well I did this for myself. And you forget the Lord your God. Who brought you out of the land of Egypt. From the house of bondage. Who led you through that great and terrible wilderness. Does it say who sent you through? No, it says who led you through. When did the children of Israel move? When the pillar of fire or smoke was taken up, they would take up the tabernacle and they would follow the Lord. The Lord led. He didn't send them somewhere. He took them and led them. And which were fiery serpents. What's a fiery serpent? Poisonous Poisonous snake. Today, we might say things like, oh, copperheads, rattlesnakes, things that we all play with, right? <laughs> no, we don't. We stay away from. And scorpions. How many of you have been stung by a scorpion here in Georgia? Most of us have. How much fun was that? <laughs> Not at all. And thirsty land, where there was no water. What did God do when there was no water? He provided water from the rock. So, He brought water for you out of the flinty rock. Who fed you in the wilderness with manna. Manna, what is it? They didn't know what it was, but they ate it and it sustained them. And how much manna did they have? Enough. Enough. And the manna continued even after they crossed into the land until when? when they were able to settle down. Until the new crops in the field were ready. So God did not let them go hungry for a day. He fed them with manna from heaven until the crops in the new promised land were ready for harvest. And he gave them manna every day except for which day? Shabbat. Shabbat. Now, he gave them manna seven days a week until Exodus 20, right? No. No. In Exodus chapter 16, they were told, on the sixth day, Gather twice as much, because on the Sabbath day, there won't be any. Why was the seventh day any different from the other days? Because he sanctified it in Genesis chapter 2, at the very beginning. How many people were there in the world at that point? Answers, two. Or one. We don't know exactly when Eve came, but there was at least the one and maybe two. Which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you, that he might test you to do you good in the end. What did some people do? On the fifth day, they gathered ten times as much as they needed. What happened the next day? It was rotted and full of worms. Some people went out on the Sabbath day to get some. What did they find? Nothing. Nothing. God wants them to rely on his promises. I hear all kinds of people say, I have faith that God's going to do this for me. That's hope, unless God promised it. If God promised it, and you believe it, that's faith. But to say, I have faith that God's going to give me a million dollar winning lottery ticket, that's not faith, because God never promised to do that. He wants the people to understand that when he gives them a promise, they can rely on it. They can take it to the bank. What if it's something they don't want? Like to go into captivity.
1: Different bank.
0: <laughs> But he still keeps his promise, doesn't he? Verse 17, then you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gained me this well. What did the northern kingdom of Israel do when the crops came in? They went and took an offering to Baal and Ishtar to thank them for the bounty. How do you think God felt about that? Yeah, not very good, he tells us. Now let's go back and look at the verse again in Jeremiah, because we're going to take a little different branch. Jeremiah chapter 13, verse 25. Because you have forgotten me and trusted in falsehood. I want to look at that word, falsehood. Go to Psalm chapter 4, verse 2. Not Isaiah chapter 4, but Psalm chapter 4, verse 2. I still hear people say, Wayne, Psalms is just a song book." Oh no, it's so much more than that. There is so much prophecy in the book of Psalms, it just is incredible. But Psalm 4, verse 2 says, How long, O you sons of men, will you turn my glory to shame? How long will you love worthlessness and seek falsehood? Selah. What does Selah mean? Stop and think long and hard about this. How long until you will repent and turn back to me is what God says. How long will you chase after the idols? And what are the idols going to do for you on judgment day? Don't say nothing. They're going to burn with you. Yeah. Make the fire a little hotter, right? Kindle the fire. Yeah. But notice verse 3 says, but. There's an alternative to those worthless idols. But know that the Lord has set apart for himself him who is godly. Referring to the saints. How does the Bible define the saint? Those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Yeshua. It says the Lord will hear when I call to him. What's that a reference to? Psalm what? You're right, it's a reference to Proverbs 28, 9. To those who turn their ear away from hearing the law, even their prayer is an abomination. So God says, if you won't hear me, I won't hear you. But the one who is godly, the one who sets aside the pagan idols, turns away, repents, comes back to God with his whole heart, will God hear his prayer? Give me a verse. Circular 18, it says if he turn if an ungodly man turns from his ways of unrighteousness
2: then,
0: and repent, then he's accounted to
2: him for righteousness,
0: basically. Right. So the unrighteousness then gets forgotten, and what God remembers is the righteousness. But then there's the flip side of that coin too. Then there's the flip side. What if you're a righteous person and turn away to unrighteousness? And which God does God, God remember? God you into the kingdom anyway and just that. Yeah, I don't think so. Right. Let's go to John chapter 9. John chapter 9 goes beyond Proverbs 28.9 and gives us both sides of the coin. It's so, Most people know John's in the New Testament. Not everybody, but well, most people. Verse 31, John 9, 31. Now we know that God does not hear sinners. Proverbs 28, 9. He who turns his ear away from hearing the law, which means he refuses to keep God's commandments. How is sin defined in 1 John 3, 4? Sin is lawlessness. So God does not hear sinners. He doesn't hear those who turn away their ear from hearing the law. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, don't you wish they left off and does his will? So that simply saying the words would be enough, but it's not, is it? To just say the words is to say, they worship me with their lips, but if they're not doing his will, then their hearts are far from me. But if anyone's a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him.
2: Let people look at that word, worship. Has an underpinning of
0: faith. It has that underpinning of faith. A worshiper of God, you must have faith, or it's just empty lip service. What did James say? Faith without works is dead. What did he mean by that? It
1: means it doesn't exist.
0: It means an empty declaration of faith is nothing in God's eyes, right? exactly what you should have told the Pharisees. You honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from from me. Which book is that in? It's in Mark 7 7 and Matthew 15. It's in both. Yep. Let's go to Jeremiah chapter 10. And no, we're not going to talk about Christmas trees. I saw people out there turning off the microphones real quick. (laughs) Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 14. Everyone, talking about the idol worshippers, not every person in the world, but those who worship idols, everyone is dull-hearted without knowledge. Ooh, does that remind you of Hosea chapter 4? My people perish for lack of knowledge. Every metalsmith is put to shame by an image, for his molded image is, what's that word? Falsehood. That's why we want to look at these verses, because they use that word falsehood to tell us we're talking about pagan idols. And there is no breath in them. Is that no breath in the metalsmith? No, it's no breath in the idol. Come on in and join us. Jeremiah chapter 51. Jeremiah chapter 51, verse 17. Looking at the word falsehood. Jeremiah 51 verse 17. And see if these words sound familiar. Everyone talking about all of the idol worshipers is dull hearted without knowledge. Every metalsmith is put to shame by the carved image for his molded image is falsehood. And there is no breath in them. But the scripture we just read that said the same thing was also in Jeremiah. Why would God say it more than once? It's one,
2: is to Israel and one,
0: is to one is to Israel and one is to Babylon, meaning it's to the Jew and the Gentile, both is to the entire world. It's not a separate Torah, it's the same instruction. It's not a separate Torah, it's not a separate instruction, it's the same instruction to all peoples. Now, didn't God say back in the Torah that the Torah was not for the Gentiles? Oh, he said one law, one custom. Let's go to Numbers 15, 15, and 16. So Numbers chapter 15, verses 15 and 16. Numbers chapter 15, starting in verse 15. I still see pages turning. Comes right after Numbers 14. Okay, thought that helped. help. Verse 15, one ordinance shall be for you of the assembly and for the stranger who dwells with you. What is that word stranger? It's gear, it's not going. There's a difference between ger and goy. Goy is a Gentile, is a pagan. A ger hashaar, which this is referring to when it says who dwells with you, means one who left the pagan idols behind and has come to worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to be grafted in like Romans 11 describes. An ordinance for how long? Forever. Forever throughout your generations as you are so shall the stranger be before the Lord. That means we act the same, right? We follow the same commandments. We worship the same God in the same way. Verse 16 reiterates that one law and one custom shall be for you and for the stranger who dwells with you. Same Torah, same customs.
1: So c- circumcision was expected of the gears.
0: Circumcision of the heart, certainly. Circumcision saying, of the heart is the fulfillment of the picture of circumcision of the flesh.
1: I do understand that, but we're talking Moses' day, and we're talking...
0: <coughs> they uh, would have, yes. That
1: they, it would have been an uh, assimilation, basically.
0: Right. It would have been an expectation. Yes. Yep. But Wayne, 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 wait a minute, Wayne. This is Old Testament. There's no place in the New Testament that says... Okay, go to 1 Corinthians. You already caught me. I don't even need to finish the ridiculous statement. 1 Corinthians. Doesn't it say what's good for the
1: goose is good for the gander?
0: Yeah, kind of. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 19. Talking about physical circumcision, circumcision of the flesh. It says circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. But keeping the commandments of God is what matters. Whether you are born a Jew or you're born a Gentile, what matters? Keeping the commandments of God. Goes back to what Daniel said over at the table in response to my question. Ecclesiastes ends with Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, whether good or bad. Is that what it says? Let's turn back to Ecclesiastes 12 and see if my memory is okay or if it's affected by age. Ecclesiastes is after Proverbs, right? Ecclesiastes 12, 13, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. That word matter is devar in Hebrew, it means word. So let's hear the conclusion of the whole thing, because devar also can mean things. It means this is the meaning of life. If you've wondered why were we created in the first place, why do we have to go through this existence? Fear God and keep his commandments for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. That word work is ma'aseh. M-A apostrophe A-S-E-H. Ma'aseh. It means what you do. A saw means to make or do. What do you do? Do you follow God or don't you? You're going to be judged upon it come judgment day. People don't like to hear that. They want to hear that, well, well, God's just going to forget everything we ever did. He's just going to hand out golden tickets. But that's not what the scripture says. Yes, sir, Edmund.
1: Um, I might say, is that, that's the Hebrew word for Acts, isn't it? The book of Acts. Yes.
0: It is, uh-huh. Yeah, it's the same word. Right? Yep. The name at the front indicates it's a participle form from the verb saw. So it means our doing. What did we do? Yep. Thanks. You're welcome. We went to Jeremiah fifty I'm sure we did. So let's go back to Jeremiah chapter 13. We're up to verse 26. Let
1: me ask you a question.
0: Go ahead and ask your question, Doc.
1: It's off the wall, but you were just in the Ecclesiastes.
0: Yes, I was in Ecclesiastes. Bringing
1: every work into judgment.
0: Bringing every work into judgment.
1: Now, I understand that Sadducees did not accept this this book.
0: Sadducees only accepted Genesis through Deuteronomy.
1: And so this concept of eternal judgment was rejected by them. Right. Whenever they came into being. I don't even know when Sadducees started. But... This concept of bringing works into judgment and judgment of people, um, how early does that go in Scripture? Is that in Torah also that yes. you will be judged?
0: Yes, I said before you today, life and death, good or evil, choose life. Very good. Thank you. And The reason the Sadducees didn't believe that we were going to get judged on our works after our resurrection is they didn't believe in resurrection. They thought you live this life then you're dead and gone. So who cares what you do? If there's nothing beyond this life, we may as well just party it up. But recognizing that we've got to stand judgment one day, whether believers or not, do we stand the same judgment No, the judgment for believers is called the Bema Seat Judgment, and it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. For non-believers, is a great white throne in Revelation chapter 20, and we should thank God each and every day that we don't have to stand that one if we're saved. Answer your question? Okay. Jeremiah 13, verse 26. Uh Uh-oh. Therefore I will uncover your skirts over your face that your shame may appear. Do you know what that's a reference to? It's not to captivity. Being naked, basically, it was the adulteress's fate to shame an adulteress. To let the world see, if you will, her sin. So what this says is, you're going to get judged and the world's going to see your sin. So don't think that come judgment day, it's going to be a private viewing everyone's going to see what I've done. Everyone's going to see what you've done. If you keep that in mind, do you think we would live a more righteous life? Peter says so. And verse 27. When Jeremiah is talking to Judah, the northern king of Israel has been in captivity for over 125 years. You realize that? They went into the Assyrian captivity long ago. And what does God expect Judah to have learned from that? Don't do it. it. Repent and turn back to God. But in verse 27, he says, in essence, will you still not repent? So it says, I have seen your adulteries, referring to idolatry. And your lustful neighings, the lewdness of your harlotry, your abominations on the hills, in the fields. Why the reference to the hills? What do they put up on the hills? The pagan high places.
1: This could be written to America.
0: Yeah. If you go to Israel today and go to Har Megiddo, the Mount of Megiddo, from which you get the word Armageddon, They have a perfectly preserved pagan high place for all the world to see. Kind of like cover that thing up. No, just the altar. So it goes on to say, Woe to you, O Jerusalem, will you still not be made clean? I know when we see the Lord, he's going to have a flat forehead from banging against the wall. But this is really what he means. They have seen the northern kingdom going to captivity. They have seen two waves of captivity going into Babylon. And God says, will you still not repent so that you can be made clean? And what's their answer? Oh, but the false prophets say we'll be just fine. Where is that in Micah? Turn to Micah.
1: When the people become dull apart,
0: yeah they
1: really they don't comprehend, they don't they don't want to, they're kind of um, again like sheep. Yeah. Say, but it's a national thing, and we see it all through scripture. They they don't listen unless somebody says, Hey, you're gonna get blessing, something good's gonna happen. They'll yeah. listen to that. But when someone says, hey, there's some really good instruction
0: right here in Deuteronomy. We ought to be doing this. Yeah. Yeah. Did you see? I saw just in the news today a new version of the Bible that's just been published. It's got a real long name, but the key word in it is rainbow. Oh. And they said, people keep using the Bible to say homosexuality is a sin. We'll just fix it. And publish a new version which says... It's not a sin. So, you don't like the word of God, just change it. He won't mind. Yeah, wait till judgment day. Look at Micah chapter 3. Micha, short for Michael. Michael, who is like God. So, Micha is who is like, referring to who is like God. Verse 11. This is God speaking in an hard to believe what's going on state. Her heads, we're talking about the kings and the judges, judge for a bribe. Her priests teach for pay. And her prophets divine for money. Yet they lean on the Lord and say is not the Lord among us? No harm can come upon us. That was the message of the false prophets. Is God is with us. Jerusalem can't fall. The temple can't fall. We can continue in our sin, and it's okay. But what does God say? Yep, when he, when Messiah talks to the scribes and Pharisees and they said, We have Abraham as our father, what did they mean? They mean because we're the descendants of Abraham, we have a golden ticket into heaven that we don't have to worry about how we live our lives. Yeah, come Judgment Day, they'll find out that's not quite right. Yeah,
2: that's it. Go
0: ahead. Yes, Melania. Uh, are, 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 are especially... Aren't our colleges especially. especially the ones that are teaching the pastors, the seminaries the same thing doing, teaching, everything. teaching everything backwards well I can't say every one of them but yeah all the ones I'm familiar with yes Miss Susie so sorry that's okay oh, <laughs> sh- open mic, didn't mean it Okay. Oh, what's that What colleges are good? I haven't been to all of them, but I can't think of one. As you guys know, one of the last universities that I graduated from in the law field just painted the whole campus black and green um, and said all the Jews should go die. Yeah. Yeah, so when they sent me an email to say, send us money, I sent them an email back and said no. Okay, anyway, back to Jeremiah. We're up to chapter 14. Everybody go, woo-hoo. woo-hoo. <laughs> yeah, very enthusiastic, I see. Okay. It's a pretty grim prophecy of hunger and thirst that's coming, right? Hunger and thirst. During the siege of Jerusalem. Mm. Look at verse 1. The the word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah concerning the droughts. What's a drought? No No rain. If there's no rain, there's no crops. That means you get thirsty and you get hungry. We can just drink grape juice. Well, no, the grapes don't grow. Well, you can drink. Well, we're kind of out of luck now, aren't we? If there's no water and there's no wine or grape juice. Well, maybe there's a little milk, except there's no food for the animals. They
1: just missed the promise about rain in its seasons.
0: Yapper. Let's go to 2 Kings chapter 25. What happened? 2 Kings chapter 25. The siege of Jerusalem was horrible. In a siege, the foreign army surrounds the walled city. They can't get in usually, but you can't get out. And where are the wells usually? Outside. Where are the crops? Outside. It's like around here, they lock the doors to Walmart. What do we do? Okay. 2 Kings chapter 25. We don't have a target. <laughs> Second Kings twenty five verses
2: two to three.
0: That was uh, being facetious I don't target. All right. <laughs> Second Kings chapter twenty five verses two to three. So the city was besieged until the eleventh year of King Zedekiah. By the ninth day of the fourth month, the famine had become so severe in the city that there was no food for the people of the land. What do they mean by no food? They mean no food. How long can people live with no food? The answer is not very long, right?
1: Because they've been rationing for a while.
0: They've been rationing for a while, which means they haven't had a full calorie count probably in a long time.
1: So they were in siege for two years.
0: That's a long time.
1: There's a point at which you should surrender and take your whip.
0: Yeah. The drought, that word is Hebrew word 1226. And it literally just means a restraint of rain. And I want you to know that because I want you to go to Haggai. Haggai in Hebrew is Haggai, and it means my festivals. And it relates, in times prophecy, to the feasts and festivals of Leviticus chapter 23 and Hanukkah. Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. So Haggai chapter 1, verses 3 to 11. Are we there? Haggai chapter 1 starting verse 3. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet saying. What's that word saying? It's a quote. Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple to lie in ruins? Like I said, this is about end times prophecy too. Not just the return from Babylon. Babylon. Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and bring in little. You eat, but you do not have enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts. What kind of prophecy? End times. Adonai Zava'ot means an end times prophecy. Consider your ways. What does that mean? Think about, it. Think about it. Smarten up, right? Go up to the mountains and bring wood and build the temple. That I may take pleasure in it. Be glorified, says the Lord. You look for much, but indeed it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why? says the Lord of hosts. That's what he wants us to think about. Why are we suffering? Because of my house that is in ruins while every one of you runs to his own house. Therefore the heavens above withhold the dew, and the earth withholds its fruit, meaning no rain, no crops. For I call for a drought on the land and the mountains, on the grain and the new wine and the oil, on whatever the ground brings forth, thy men and livestock, and in all the labor of your hands. We need to start taking God's word seriously. Did you hear Monty Judah last week? There were two of the kibbutzes that on October 7th, Hamas went to raid. And because it was Shabbat, the gates were closed and locked. And the terrorists couldn't get in. So they had to go elsewhere. The main place where they did such damage was that open air concert. Where people said, I don't care if it's Shabbat. I'm going to go live my life because I don't care what God says. And they were the ones who suffered the most. What if they had been at home in the kibbutz with the gates locked because it was Shabbat? Hmm. Just something to think about. Deuteronomy twenty-eight, seventeen. It's not like God hasn't warned us from the very beginning that one of his judgments for turning away from him is drought. Deuteronomy twenty-eight verse seventeen. Deuteronomy 28, 17. We'll start in 15 for context, which begins, but, but it's not really but. You changed it to and a long time ago. It shall come to pass, what's that next word, that little word? If you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments and his statutes which I command you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. Cursed shall you be in the city and cursed shall you be in the country. Cursed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Meaning, you're going to be hungry. And then if we jump down to verses 23 and 24, to take the short version. Isn't that going to be like what's going to happen here? You mean like the drought all across the Southwest United? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Are we under God's judgment? No, it's climate change. No, it's God's judgment. Verse 23, And your heavens which are over your head shall be bronze. What's that mean? It means judgment, no rain. And the earth which is under you shall be iron, which means it will not give forth its fruit. Lord will change the rain of your land to powder and dust. From the heaven it shall come down on you until you are destroyed. So it's not like we didn't have warning. That we serve God or come under God's judgment.
2: Sound like a volcano eruption, ash falling, volcanic
0: ash falling. Yeah, think of it more like the Dust Bowl back in the early part of the 20th century. Okay. Back to Jeremiah chapter 14. We're up to verse 2. Hey, we're moving along. Judah mourns and her gates languish. Talking about people can't come in and out. The land outside's not being tended. It's not being farmed. The crops are not being gathered. <laughs> they mourn for the land. That is, they wish that they could harvest the crops. They wish that they could eat. And the cry of Jerusalem has gone up. So why doesn't God hear it? Yes, ma'am. I mean,
1: that really sounds like Israel today. I mean, yes, America as well, but I mean, you know, when you listen to some of the reports about how, you know, people are fighting, they're all fighting, they can't tend to their crops and things like that. Yep. Yeah.
0: Does God's word change? It does not. So verse 3, the nobles have sent their lads for water. They went to the cisterns and found no water. What is a cistern? It's not a well. Yeah, they cut out a big old place out of the rock to make like a, like a holding tank. But the water doesn't bubble up from the bottom. The water comes in from the rains. There's little troughs that bring the rains in to fill up the cisterns. What if there's no rain? Then the cisterns go dry. They went to the cisterns and found no water. They returned with their vessels empty. They were ashamed and confounded and covered their heads. How many of you have been through the rabbi's tunnel in Jerusalem? Then you have seen the huge cisterns under the Temple Mount. When there's plenty of rain, those things are so full of water. And when there's a drought year after year, then pretty soon they're just dry containers. And that's what verse 3 is all about, the cisterns. That are supposed to be filled by the rain don't get filled when there isn't any rain. No rain, no water in the cisterns. So where are the wells? They're outside the city gates. The cisterns are what inside are inside. But now they're empty. When it says they were ashamed and confounded and covered their heads, that's a sign of great mourning. What do you do when you're thirsty? And there's nothing to drink. They mourned,
1: but they didn't repent.
0: They mourned, but they didn't repent. That's exactly right. It's a sign of mourning. Go to 2 Samuel chapter 15. Isn't mourning the same thing as repenting? The answer is no. Mourning is expressing great sorrow and sadness. For
1: yourself.
0: For yourself and your circumstances. 2 Samuel chapter 15 verse 30. 2 Samuel chapter 15, verse 30. So David went up by the ascent of the Mount of Olives and wept as he went up. And he had his head covered and went barefoot. Why? He's weeping, why? For Absalom, Absalom. yeah. And all the people who were with him covered their heads and went up weeping as they went up. A sign of great sorrow. Go to Second Samuel chapter 19, verse 1. Second Samuel chapter 19, starting in verse 1. We'll go verses 1 to 4. So Joab was told, Behold, the king is weeping and mourning for Absalom. So the victory that day was turned into mourning for all the people. For the people heard it said that day, the king is grieved for his son. And the the people stole back into the city that day as people who are ashamed steal away when they flee in battle. But the king covered his face and the king cried out with a loud voice, Oh my son Absalom, oh Absalom my son, my son. What does Absalom mean? Father of peace. And yet Absalom revolted against his father. How sad. Go back to Jeremiah chapter 14. We're up to verse 4. Because the ground is parched. I grew up on a farm. I don't know how many of you did. When there's no rain... The dirt can get so hard that it cracks. And trying to plant and make something out of that, that's tough. And that's what we're talking about. Because the ground is parched. Parched means without water. There was, for there was no rain in the land. The plowmen were ashamed. It doesn't mean ashamed like they got caught naked. It means ashamed that they cannot produce the crops. Their efforts are going to fail. They covered their heads again in mourning. How do you go home and look at your wife and children and say, we have nothing to eat? I couldn't find any. I couldn't buy any. I couldn't make any. I couldn't raise any. Now what had God told the people? Go into captivity. Go into Babylon. There they could eat. There they could drink they could at least have a roof over their heads. And they said, no, you can't make us. I'll we'll never say that to God. That's a kind of a favorite saying of mine. Stop saying how much worse can it get, because God may take it as a challenge. Yeah, verse five, let's repent early. Yes, the deer also gave birth in the field. Well, that's not a bad thing but left because there was no grass, meaning left the fawns to die because there's nothing to feed them. If the mother can't eat, then she can't produce milk for the children. That means the people can't even eat the deer because, well, they're, they're sick and dying. Yep, they abandoned the newborn fawns. And you guys said this was a depressing prophecy. Verse 6, And the wild donkeys stood in the desolate heights. They sniffed at the wind like jackals. What are they sniffing for? Water. Water. What are they finding? None. None. Their eyes failed because there was no grass. No water, no food, even for the wild animals. It's not just the cultivated ones. That means they die. along
1: the ocean shore where they at least have fish. Surely they have some hope for
0: food. Some hope for food, no, they're in Jerusalem and surrounded by the the Babylonian army. They can't go fishing. They can't go fishing. They can't they? go fishing. Oh, nice if, thought though.
2: If, even if you have meat, no water meat requires a lot of water to pro- for your body to
0: process it yeah but the, I'm sorry the Babylonians were not going to let them go fishing just to have a nice More afternoon
2: they're, oh. yeah. they're
0: probably cooking
2: the food right
0: by the gate yeah probably Jeremiah 14 verse 7 Jeremiah is going to plead for God to answer verse 7 says oh Lord though our iniquities what's iniquities lawlessness, just like in Matthew 7.23. Though our iniquities testify against us, do it for your name's sake. In other words, God, if you would please intervene, provide rain, provide food, maybe it would cause the people to repent. Has God's effort in that regard in the past brought the people to repentance? No. No. He says, For our backslidings are many. We have sinned against you. But that word iniquities, in Hebrew, the word iniquity is avon, A V O N, as in avon calling. Hebrew word 5771. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 15. Lawlessness, breaking God's commandments. 1 John 3, 4. I have a lot of people that will email me and say, Wayne, there weren't any commandments before Exodus 20. Yeah, the commandments have existed from the beginning. Genesis chapter 15, verse 16. After promising Avram, whose name will soon be Abraham... That his descendants are going to go down into Egypt and come out in the fourth generation. God tells him why. Verse 16 says, but in the fourth generation they shall return here. For the iniquity, the lawlessness of the Amorites is not yet complete. The Amorites are not Jewish. But God is the God of all people. And his word applies whether you're Jew or Gentile, as we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. So God says, the Amorites who lived in the land of Canaan, their sins were not yet so full that he had to remove them from the land to bring the children of Israel back from Egypt and give them the land. If God's going to take the Amorites out of the land when their sins get full... What's he going to do when the children of Israel's sins get full? Same thing. Genesis chapter 19. Yeah, you guys know that's the story of Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah. Genesis chapter 19, verse 15. When the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot to hurry, saying, Arise, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be consumed in the punishment of the city. But the word's not punishment, is it? The word is avon, iniquity, lawlessness. Why was God going to punish Sodom and Gomorrah for their lawlessness? Is it because they were Jewish? Jewish? Their cup of iniquity was full. And it filled up a lot faster than that of the Emirates. It did. It filled up very quickly, didn't it? Do you have a question? No. Okay. Back to Jeremiah. I want to see another part of verse seven. Jeremiah fourteen, verse seven. For our backslidings are many. You see that word backslidings. I want you to put two Hebrew words in your notes. The first is teshuva. T e s h u v a h. Teshuva, which means t e s h u v a h. Teshuva means repentance. The word backsliding is mashuva. M e. S H U V A H. Do you see how closely related those words are? From
2: returning.
0: From and returning. So
2: it's like
0: you're doing the opposite. <laughs> means you're doing exactly the opposite. Instead of turning to God, you're turning away from God. You never see that if in just in English, but in Hebrew it's real clear. Teshuvah, to repent, to return to God. Meshuvah, to turn away from God, to backslide. And that's Hebrew word 4878. And let's go look at Hosea chapter 11 and see a usage of it. Hosea chapter 11, verse 7. Hosea chapter 11, verse 7. What does the name Hosea mean? I forget. Salvation. Salvation. Yeah, I didn't really forget. I was just playing. Okay. Mm -hmm. Verse 7. My people are bent on backsliding from me. Though they call to the Most High, none at all exalt him. This again is Mark 7 and Matthew 15. The people honor me with their lips. But their hearts are far from me. When it says, My people are bent on backsliding from me, that backsliding is mashuva. What's bent on? They're determined. They're determined. They're not just accidentally oopsing. They are determined to turn away from God. They're determined not to follow God, unlike today here in America.
1: Mm-hmm. We can call that backsliding. We think of backsliding as second accidental, but in this usage, it was Stubbornness and and
0: intention. Yes, it's stubbornness and intention. Yeah. If it was unintentional, there's a sacrifice for that. But when you spit in God's face, there's no sacrifice for that. The only cure for that is repentance. Yes, sir. How many times have you heard
2: throughout your life the word backsliding being used synonymous with, like, oh, you didn't go to church, you backslider. Yeah. You're sitting on the back you backslider. But that word backsliding has such a different connotation when you look at it. It literally means like
0: you are not following the ways of God. It literally means not only that you're not following, but you're deliberately not following.
2: You are making a conscious choice to not follow
0: the ways of God. Yeah, you're making a conscious choice not to follow the ways of God as in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Keep a finger in Hosea. Because we're going to come back to it in a minute. Go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. You know, when you lose the underpinning of what the Scripture is about, that's where
2: you have to fill in the gaps with doctrine.
0: Yeah, when you lose the underpinning of what the Scriptures actually say and teach, then you have to fill in with doctrine. So that's why backsliding has become you didn't go to church. That's why backsliding has become you didn't go to church. Or... In some of the churches I grew up in, you played a game of Rama, you sinner, you. <laughs> yeah, Second Thessalonians chapter two, verse eleven. And for this reason, the reason is they did not receive the love of the truth. The truth being Torah, Psalm one nineteen, verse one forty-two. For this reason, God will send them strong delusion if they should believe the lie that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, again, Torah, Psalm 119, verse 142, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So why didn't they believe the truth? They didn't want to because it would mean they would have to stop sinning and they don't want to stop sinning.
2: Well, we might have to go to heaven. You know, it's basically kind of that, just that God's trying to say, they, if they receive the love and truth, they'll be Right. So it's not
0: even worth it to him. Yep. As we were flipping through, my Bible fell open to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. So, on our way back to Hosea, we may as well stop there. Because it's in the New Testament, everybody will go, well, duh. But it says, and it's written by the Apostle Paul, For this I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord. Does that mean it's a lie or it's truthful? Truthful. That you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. In a futility meaning perverseness of their mind. How many times do you see a theologian on YouTube say, you don't need to stop sinning. If you stop sinning, it shows a lack of faith on your part. Yep. So back to Hosea chapter 14.
2: Where did he
0: learn that? Where did he learn that? Probably in seminary. I mean, seminary. Yep. Exactly Hosea 14. Right. I know those Baptist seminaries tried to straighten me out, but they didn't do a very good job. Hosea 14, verse 4. Even their backsliding can be forgiven. Hosea 14.4 I will heal their backsliding. I will love them freely. For my anger is turned away from him. What do you think comes in verse 1 before that? Oh Israel return to the Lord your God. Yeah there's the word shuv from which we get to shuvah. Shuvah is simply the verb. And where we get meshuvah too. So it means to repent and come back to God and when you do verse 4 God will heal the backsliding, love them freely and the anger will be turned away from them. So what do these people that are suffering in Jerusalem what do they need to do to end the suffering? Return to the Lord their God. They need to repent, return to the Lord their God and they say we'd rather starve. Well That's just not too bright. Let's go back to Jeremiah 14, verse 7, for one more phrase. (coughs) Thank you. you. For we have sinned against you. That's the last phrase of verse 7. So our iniquities, that was the first part of verse 7. That's the lawlessness. That's the avon. Our backslidings, that's the meshuvah. Says, we have sinned against you. That's chata, C H A T A, chata. Hebrew word 2398. Let's go to Genesis chapter 20, verse 6, to see what this word's all about. So,
1: Brother Wayne, this word sin is not uh, avon.
0: No, this it's word not sin not. is not avon. Iniquity is avon. Sin here is Chata, C-H-A-T-A. Abord 2398. Genesis chapter 20, verse 6. Here's a story. Abraham has gone down toward the south, came across Abimelech the, the king, and said, Uh oh, oh, this pretty lady here, that's my sister. Take her if you want her. And it says in verse 3, But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Indeed, you're a dead man because of the woman whom you've taken, for she is a man's wife. In other words, what? If he's taken her as his wife, he's committing adultery. But this is before Exodus chapter 20. Was adultery a sin? It was a sin. Yeah. But Abimelech had not come near her. And he said, Lord, will you slay a righteous nation also? Did he not say to me, she is my sister? And she, even she herself said, he is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and innocence of my hands, I have done this. And God said to him in a dream, yes, I know that you did this in the integrity of your heart. For I also withheld you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. So if he had committed adultery with her, he would have done what? He would have sinned. It's before Exodus chapter 20. And Abimelech's not Jewish. Which tells us the commandments have always been. Genesis chapter 39, verse 9. I know, I know. People think when God walked with Adam and Eve in the garden, they talked about the weather all day. But no, they talk Torah. Where are we going? Genesis 39. Genesis chapter 39, verse 9. This is Joseph who has Potiphar's wife throwing herself at him, and he's not buying. Genesis 39, verse 9. Well, start in verse 8. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Look, my master does not know what is with me in the house. He has committed all that he has to my hand, meaning I'm not going to betray him that way. Verse 9, There is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you because you're his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Does Joseph know that adultery is a sin? Yeah. And how long is this before Exodus chapter 20? A long time. Back to Jeremiah chapter 14 verse 8. Oh boy, there's lots of notes to that one. Okay. Verse 8 says, Oh the hope of Israel, his Savior in time of trouble, why should you be like a stranger in the land, and like a traveler who turns his side to tarry for the night? When he says, and like a traveler, that's the word stranger. Does a stranger care about the land that they're just simply passing through? The answer is no. And he says, Lord, you're not like somebody who doesn't care. You care what's going on. You care what happens to the land. You care what happens to Jerusalem, to the temple, and to the people of the land. You care. So why does he call him the hope of Israel? Is there any other hope? Is there any other hope for any of us? The answer is no. Let's go to Jeremiah 17, 13. Jeremiah 17, 13. Who does Jeremiah mean by the hope of Israel? It's here in verse 13. Oh, Lord. See how Lord is spelled? That's the tetragrammaton, those four Hebrew letters, yod heh vav which comes from Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. I will be whom I will be. He is the hope of Israel. Is he the hope of Jacob? No, he's the hope of Israel. What's the difference? Jacob is unrepentant, Israel is repentant. Does God bless his children or his enemies? It's his children. O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you shall be ashamed. That's all I'm going to read from here because we're going to have another reference to the fount of living waters in a little while. So let's go up. Actually, I have to read it. Okay. Because we got to go to John 8 next. Okay. To finish, verse 13. Those who depart from me shall be written in the earth because they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living waters. This is read... At the Beit HaShoeva ceremony in John chapter 7. Say that
2: again.
0: The rejoicing in the water pouring in John chapter 7. Takes place at the Feast of Tabernacles. On the 7th day is when you do the water pouring. The 8th day is when John chapter 8 takes place. So in John chapter 7 is where it's the is the 7th day. It's Hoshana Rabbah, the 7th day of the Feast of Tabernacles. They do the water pouring. Lord stands up and says, He who believes in me out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water, referring to the Holy Spirit. And then chapter 8 is the next day. So let's go to John 8, verse 1. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. The 8th day of the 7 day Feast of Tabernacles, which still blows my mind, is called Shemini at Zeret. It's the concluding assembly. Says so ver- yeah. chapter 8, verse 1. God bless you. Now it came to pass afterward that he went through... I'm in Luke. I need to go to John. That didn't read right, did it? No. God bless you. God bless you. John chapter 8, verse 1. But Yeshua went up to the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives today is in Jerusalem. In his day it was not. It's a Sabbath day's journey east of Jerusalem. God bless you. Now early in the morning he came again into the temple. And all the people came to him and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst they said to him, Teacher, that's a rabbi. This woman was caught in adultery in the very act. He knows they're not serious about her sin. God bless you. Because what does the Torah say? Who's to be brought to trial? The woman and the man. It says, now Moses in the law the Torah commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? This they said testing him. They want to trip him up. That they might have something of which to accuse him. God bless you. The test is this. If he says stoner, they say you're heartless. If he says, don't stone her, they say you're a lawbreaker. So they think it's a juridical question. Whatever he answers is going to condemn him. That's a juridical question. The answer condemns the answerer. It says, but Yeshua stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. God bless you. So when they continued asking me, him, raised himself up and said to them, he who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And those who heard it being convicted by their conscience went out one by one. But the key is, God bless you, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. They just heard the day before, Jeremiah 17, 13, about those who depart from me are going to be written in the earth. That is, their names are going to be written in the earth. God bless you. He stood up at that time. In John chapter 7 it said, I am that fountain of living waters. So the older, which means they were wiser, don't know if that's always the case, but that's what they're getting at, realize that, uh uh-oh, he's talking about us. Now, we looked at hope of Israel. Let's now look at the word Savior. Let's go back to 2 Samuel chapter 22. Yes, sir.
2: That, with them writing the name in the uh, ground, would that be an example of an idiom of, well, you're going to go to hell kind of thing? Or?
0: Yeah, it means you've rejected the Lord, the fount of living waters. They knew what rejecting mm-hmm. the Lord meant. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Remember back in Deuteronomy, kept saying, I call heaven and earth to testify against you. So the names are being written in the earth as a testimony against them. 2 Samuel 22, verse 3. We'll start in verse 2 for context. So we'll start in 2 Samuel 22, verse 2. And he said, Who's he? David. He said, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, the God of my strength in whom I will trust, my shield. What's a shield in Hebrew? A magen. The star of David is actually, and technically the magen David, the shield of David. And the horn of my salvation. My stronghold and my refuge, my savior. You saved me from violence. So who is the savior in the words of David, who is a prophet? The answer is the Lord. Again, that's the tetragrammaton, those four Hebrew letters yod heh vav I will be whom I will be. And is the Lord the same as the God of my strength? Yes, the Lord is God. He is my shield, that is my protector. He's the horn of my salvation, that is, he's the power behind it, the strength. He's my stronghold, my refuge, and my savior, meaning my deliverer, the one who rescues me from all danger. Go to Psalm 106, verse 21. It says, you save me from Hamas. That's what the word violence is in Hebrew, is Hamas. Do you think the Palestinians know that Hamas means violence? Yes, they do. Arabic and Hebrew are closer together in language than they would like. What's Abraham in Arabic? Ibrahim. Yeah. So even if you well Musa Moses. 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 Yeah. Okay. Psalms one oh six twenty one. I know it's because we have
2: kids
0: Yeah. Psalm one oh six verse twenty one. Yeah, on the way to Petra is Ein Musa. Ein is a spring. Ein is also spring in Hebrew. Psalm one hundred six verse twenty one. I don't see any chats out there from going to meeting land, which either means I'm being very clear or they quit listening. Psalm one hundred six verse twenty-one. They forgot God, their savior. They, if you go back up to verse 19, the children of Israel made that golden calf in Horeb. Yeah. So verse 20, they forgot God, their Savior. What is the word there for God? It's going to be Elohim. So the Lord and God are used interchangeably here in the scriptures. They forgot God, their Savior done great things in Egypt. The word Savior there means Save them from the Egyptian captivity. The word Savior just means delivered us from something. For you and I delivered us from captivity to sin. The wages of sin is death. And here in the psalm it's talking about delivered from the captivity in Egypt. Go to Isaiah 43, verse 3. clock's flying, isn't it? No, but the time is. Mm -hmm.
2: Isaiah
0: 43, verse
2: 3.
0: Boy, if this doesn't speak volumes. Isaiah 43, verse 3. For I am the Lord, there's the tetragrammaton, your God. So it's very clear that by Lord they mean God. And in the book of Romans, does it say, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus? But Lord there looks like an adjective. There should be an is between it. The Lord is Yeshua is what it should say. The Holy One of Israel. And Isaiah chapter 12 says, the Holy One of Israel will dwell in our midst there in the Messianic kingdom. So we know it's talking about Messiah Yeshua. And it says, your Savior so the Lord is God, is our Messiah Yeshua, the Holy One of Israel, and is our Savior. Wait,
1: um, yes, um? these two, this verse and the following, are the, the verses that we were talking about a little bit last time um, about the Egyptian, the firstborn Egyptians being the ransom for Israel. And this is what I was referring to. Yep,
0: I still wouldn't call it a ransom. Yeah. Why did God take the firstborn of Egypt? Do you know?
1: That's what Pharaoh said. Well,
0: There's more to it they, than that.
1: The firstborn was considered uh, well, like God them. or something.
0: Not, not until that point. If they no exactly. The slaves were not owned by Egypt, they were owned by Pharaoh. At Pharaoh's death, his son would have inherited them. But when he has no son, <laughs> That's how God set them free. Mm
1: -hmm. Verse 4 says, you know, giving. I'm not saying that whatever whatever you're working on is in exchange for you. I gave people in exchange for
0: your soul. Yep. Or I gave Egypt for your ransom. Ethiopian Seba in your place. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's true. Very good. And then to chapter 45. I didn't say you were wrong, just I wouldn't phrase it no, that I way.
2: It's just an unusual
0: different way of yeah. thinking about it. Yeah. Isaiah forty-five, verse fifteen. Truly you are God who hide yourself. Ooh, the one who conceals. Uh-huh. O oh God of Israel, the Savior. Huh. Same chapter, verse 21. Tell them, bring forth your case. What kind of language is that? That's legal terminology. It means file your charges and bring your case to court. Yes, let them take counsel together. Who has declared this from ancient time? Who has told it from that time? Have not I the Lord? And there is no other God besides me. Ain't oh, that's right. A just God And a Savior, there is none besides me. There's still a lot of people who say, Wayne, uh, yeah, yeah, Yeshua just can't be God. This scripture says there is no other Savior. There is no other Redeemer. Does it say that? We have to go to chapter 49, verse 26. I and my Father, one at John 10, at which holiday? At Hanukkah time. People say, but it doesn't say Hanukkah, it says dedication. <laughs> That's what, Hanukkah, That's what Hanukkah, is. Hanukkah is in English, is dedication. Yep. Isaiah forty nine twenty six. I will feed those who oppress you with their own flesh. They shall be drunk with their own blood as with sweet wine. All flesh shall know that I, the Lord, am your Savior. And your redeemer, the mighty one of Jacob. If we could get Israel to understand what that verse means, I think we'd see a lot of salvation amongst the Jewish people. The word redeemer in Hebrew is goel, geo apostrophe e l, and it's your nearest kinsman of your own flesh and blood, who has the ability to. And the desire to redeem you. God in heaven is a spirit. He's not our kinsman. So this tells us that the Lord had to take on a body of flesh and blood to be a kinsman. Now he's not your first cousin. But is there a nearer kinsman who has the ability and the willingness to pay the price you owe to God? The answer is no. So he is the nearest. Isaiah chapter 60, verse 16. Do you happen to know, like, of the modern uh, Jewish understanding of the phrase? Honestly, I've never heard a rabbi talk about that word at all. Isaiah 60, verse 16. Don't
1: you think they're mindset is more um, redeeming it, the world as it is now. Not, 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 not really a spiritual thing, more sort of like the first century. Like
0: rebuilding the wall, yes. rebuilding the world, that concept. Yep. Verse 16, you shall drink the milk of the Gentiles and milk the breast of kings. You shall know that I, the Lord, am your Savior and your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. So Savior can mean save you from most anything. Save Daniel from the lion's den, Israel out of Egypt, the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego folks from the fiery furnace. But the word Redeemer is very specific. And the Lord says, I am the Lord, I'm your Savior, I'm your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob the mighty one of Jacob. Does that remind you of Psalm chapter 9, verses 6 and 7? Isaiah 9, Isaiah 9 6 and 7. Thank you. I don't know what I said. Doesn't Psalm, matter. Psalm. Isaiah. Where he's called El Gibor, the mighty God. Go to Hosea chapter 13, verse 4. Because you know this verse here about Savior, Redeemer,
2: You know, if you look at how when Yeshua was talking to the
0: scribes and Pharisees, yep.
2: set you free, they respond, well, we've never been in slavery to anybody. Right. Then, you know, what, are you, what do you mean Yeah, by that? they
0: did not understand, did they? They
2: didn't understand, like, you are a slave to sin, and you need to be saved
0: from your sins. Right. But you have to understand that in Jewish theology, there is no original sin. No one's born a sinner, and they believe that they've never sinned, so they don't need a Redeemer or a Savior. Unfortunately, not the case. Hosea 13, verse 4. Yet I am the Lord. There's that tetragrammaton again, your God, ever since the land of Egypt. How did he become their God? At Mount Sinai, in Exodus chapter 19, he said, If you do this, I will be your God, and you shall be my people. It says, and You shall know no God but me, for there is no Savior. Besides me. And our time has come to an end for tonight. We'll have to pick up next week, Lord willing, continuing our study of verse 8.